0: Welcome to our podcast, Growing Give and Take Kids, Power Traits for Life. This program is brought to you by Victoria Kendall Hodson and Mary Emma Willis of Reflective Educational Perspectives. They are founders of the Learning Success Institute and Solomar Academy Independent Study Program. They are also co-authors of Discover Your Child's Learning Style and Self-Portrait Power Traits Assessment. Their mission is to give parents and teachers the tools to empower kids to thrive in the real world by focusing on their strength, or as they call it, power traits. Please visit powertraitsforlife.com or reflectiveed.com for more information. You can also check out learningsuccessinstitute.com and solomaracademy.com.
1: Welcome back to Growing Give and Take Kids, Power Traits for Life. I'm Mary Emma Willis, and Edie Lamfar is back with me today. Edie is a passionate educator who is committed to creating amazing opportunities for students. She has a California teaching credential and masters in marriage and family therapy and counseling. Her background also includes special education, social-emotional learning, family dynamics, and Nonviolent Communication, as well as classroom teacher, principal, and curriculum developer for preschool through college. Welcome Edie. Hi Mary Emma, it's good to be back. Yes, it's wonderful to have you back. So this is part two of the brain and learning and today we're getting into the neuroscience of learning. So I'm really eager to get into this.
2: (laughs) Yay, well one of the things I wanted to talk about in terms of neuroscience when we talked earlier about social emotional learning mm-hmm. i wanted to talk a little bit about the neuroscience of social emotional learning and then how that affects Great. learning mm-hmm. so um, we could start there that'd okay. be awesome well one of the things that when we talk about social emotional learning and emotional regulation we have to talk about the physiology of our stress response and for learning and for emotional regulation They work in some of this very similar ways. So, when we get agitated or frustrated or angry or sad, we actually have chemicals that are emitted, right, from our adrenals up through our spinal cord into our brain. And they um, initially affect our amygdala or our limbic system, the emotional regulation center of our brains. And then that actually starts to tell our bodies to prepare for um, it used to be we would say to fight or flight but we actually know that there are at least four responses that can happen Mm -hmm. fight which is basically turn around and start getting ready to do battle flight is to run away or to to remove yourself from the situation but there's also freeze like we talk about a deer in the Mm -hmm. headlights That idea of when we get overwhelmed by our emotions, we can just freeze in place and we don't know what to do next. But we can also do this other thing called fawn or fawning, where we adopt a a people pleasing kind of thing. When we feel overwhelmed and stressed, we start to take those emotions into telling people what. We think they want us mm. to be saying to them and how they want it said rather than actually being true to our own emotions and our right. own experience and so I see a lot of the fawning and freezing with kids um when I talk about learning and which is an interesting thing because when we were talking about social emotional learning and we have talked in the past about punishment and rewards, right punishments and rewards are those kinds of things that can lead us to fight or flight, um, freeze or fawn behaviors. And what happens is that when those things happen, when our amygdala or limbic system is lit up, it actually takes our executive function, our prefrontal cortex offline. Um, It's like
1: almost you don't have a brain. It It is, absolutely. right.
2: You're not thinking anymore. You're being Mm -hmm. regulated um, by your uh, automatic uh, systems, right? They're taking over. So it's taking the blood away from your brain and sending it into your limbs, into your heart, to all the parts of your body that mm-hmm. have to get ready to do one of those to four things. To escape the
1: lion or the right, tiger. Right,
2: right. <laughs> or the saber tooth tiger for our... Which yeah, is yeah.
1: where that right. this, I mean, originated. Absolutely. I mean, it's the old brain. It of, is. It is yeah. what,
2: what they call the reptilian brain, yeah. the oldest part of our our bodies. And then when uh, that happens, our Brains go offline. We're not available for thinking in the same way, and which also means that we're not available for problem solving, mm-hmm. knowing what to do next. Yeah. Right to regulate those emotions, we get flooded. We literally are flooded with a, a number of chemicals that, like adrenaline, when you are you know getting ready to fight, you have this adrenaline that gives you this like superhuman power to to go into battle. But those same chemicals, whether you are battling or running away or freezing, are still there in every situation. So just because the situation, your response to it is different, doesn't mean the chemical reaction is different. So Daniel Siegel talks about this great model of the brain, right? When you take your hand, make it a fist, tuck your thumb over the front of it, and then your elbow becomes your like adrenals, right? Uh And your arm Uh is the spinal cord. And it hits the palm, right? That's the part of your brain, the amygdala, the limbic system. It shoots that, and it basically flips your fingers, like flips your lid, takes your whole <laughs> brain, your prefrontal <laughs> cortex, off the I like that. I mean, like
1: literally, it literally flips, flips your, your lid. Literally flips your lid, right. And I love that
2: explanation because it's something that you can show kids, uh, not just young yeah. kids. I've used it in workshops with adolescents for them to understand when their brains, when they have flipped their lids and their their fingers have have moved up and they're you know out of control, is that there are techniques and strategies you can use to help bring your prefrontal cortex back online, and mindful breathing is one of those ways to do that, yeah, but it's also another um to have someone help regulate you um in that moment so Because one of the other amazing things that we have in our brain are neurons and neural pathways. And we have a very particular kind of neuron called a mirror neuron. And that mirror neuron actually allows us to be able to see someone else having an experience. And it will light up our part of the brain that's having that sees that experience. Mirroring like, it. Right. It way. actually, our brains will light up in response uh-huh. to it in the same place that the person doing the behavior is experiencing. Uh-huh. So it's really powerful to understand how mirror neurons work because if I'm unregulated or deregulated or dysregulated, people have different ways to say that. Well, If I'm struggling with regulating myself back to really what they would call a homeostatic balance, Mm -hmm. right? Coming back to center.
1: We call it calm alert, too. Calm alert, Mm -hmm.
2: right. When you're talking about how to come back to that space, if I meet you in that moment and you are at calm alert, you're ready to do the next thing. Your energy, by looking at you and engaging Uh with you, can help regulate my brain back to calm alert. So when kids are in a classroom, and they're experiencing some dysregulation, we have to help them get back to their calm alert. And we can do that. Kids can do it for each other, right? Adults can do it for kids. Kids can actually do it for adults, too, by the way, right? We all have that capacity. Yeah.
1: It's such a wonderful thing. It's, I mean, to be that, not only are you modeling it, but you're actually giving out the signal or something for it. You know what I mean? It's like, you're modeling the behavior. Absolutely. But at the same time, because of the mirroring, you're actually giving them something to respond with. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: And they don't always know, right? That right. that's what's it's happening for them. not like they know, them. oh, you right, just right.
1: gave me your, right. <laughs> you know, I have yeah. my mirror neuron or whatever. They're, they don't know that. But. but when you teach kids
2: that that's actually what yeah, happened in that yeah. moment and that... They can find the people. I always tell kids, you have a team, right? You have the team of people. Um, It can be your parents. It can be your friends. It can be your grandparents. um, It can be a teacher. Anybody on your team can help you in that moment. When you find yourself in a place where you feel like, I'm out of control, you can actually go to a person on your team and say, um, and sometimes nothing, (laughs) but you can go to them and you can help them to understand that you're struggling and they can help to get you back to calm alert. So then you can actually do, when we talked about social emotional learning, right? That regulation piece. That regulation takes the ability to recognize what it is you're feeling to be able then to articulate it and then get support in regulating that emotion Mm -hmm. to a place where you can keep... You're kind of, like call it a toolbox, right? We all have different tools in our mm-hmm. toolbox because we all use different things. Some of us use the very same things. I know as a human being, if I feel dysregulated and I go to you, mm-hmm. right? You help me mm-hmm. become, like, be able to say what my experience is, to process it, and bring me back to calm alert. So I know I can talk to you about anything, and then that helps me to understand, oh, this person is on my team. This is a person mm. I need when I feel like I can't regulate my emotions and then I'll be able to better problem solve or process the issue when I'm back at calm alert. I'll have my prefrontal cortex will be back online. <laughs> <laughs> it's so right. really
1: it's such an amazing thing. It's like we can transmit Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like we're transmitting. It's almost like a Star Trek sort of. (laughs) It is. (laughs) You know? Well, and you know, many
2: of the neuroscientists will say that there is this, you know, neural network that we are all a part of, that our brains all participate in, and that we actually are all connected through that network. So it isn't, it it sounds very Star Trek-like, but but the reality (laughs) is we actually are connected at this very fundamental level. And that. If we all understood that, going again back to Mm social-emotional learning and the foundation of empathy, if we knew, right, that we had this connection, that we were all essentially the same when it comes to that network, that we would feel very differently about people we have marginalized or other in our own lives because we would recognize their connectedness to us. It's
1: so important to teach kids this, really. And, and I wanted to go back to something uh, that you were talking about before when you gave the the four possible responses Yes. Um, to like a threat or when you right. don't feel safe. Right. And one of them, those, sort of the latest one that we've come up with is Fawn. Yeah. Fawn. Um, so I just wanted to ask you about this because, you know, the fight or flight, you're doing something kind of dramatic. Right. Right. I mean, you get in trouble for it. Usually. Yeah. Um, you can get in trouble for turning around and fight whatever the fight means, whether it's you called your teacher a name or you hit somebody or you kick the chair, whatever. Or you run away. Right. Literally run out of the room and you know, so these are all things that can be seen and you get in trouble for them. Right. Well, let me tell you a
2: quick story about that. Yeah. They showed this video of um, a couple being mugged in New York City. And the wife froze. So it was a, a wife and the husband standing on okay. the corner. This guy came and tried to rob them. The woman froze. The man literally looked at the guy, turned around, and ran. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you can only imagine what life was like for that guy afterwards. But they just demonstrated, right? The fight or flight response in that moment. It's almost immediate. It's almost yes. like you
1: have no controls. So right? He, he it leaves, is. Right.
2: He it leaves is. his wife with the robber on the corner.
1: Right. <laughs> so, uh, right. I mean, perfect example, right. but you can see that. Right. You can't really see right. fawning. Right. Okay. And so I you just know, to bring, even though
2: you can't see it, I, as an adult, know when a kid is doing that. Yes,
1: <laughs> you do. I mean, yeah. if you're, you know, observing at all. Right, well, and I if you're see, connected to connected that child. Connected to that. Right. But here's the thing. Those would be the kids I would worry about Absolutely. more. Right. Because that's going to take its toll. Right. You just pretend everything's okay, and you just kind of give them what they want, play the game, whatever. Like you're totally losing yourself, right? And, and you never lady, get
2: to say what it is you're yeah, feeling or thinking because right. you never tell the truth about it. In those right.
1: other actions, right. you're really telling the world. Yes, you know, <laughs> you say I think you're stupid or right, whatever. Right. It, it's it's not good. Right. Right. But you're getting it out. Right. And if you run, you're you're doing something, you know, to protect yourself. But this Absolutely. this is more. It's insidious. insidious, yes, yes, yes. and um, sort of under the radar, and so I think we really need to be um, aware of this happening in right. students, um, probably more than is thought.
2: Absolutely, to well, and when they talk, you know, as part of CASEL, the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, they talk about there really needs to be kind of two approaches, mm-hmm. right, to help this. Is that you actually have to teach skills. You have to teach kids vocabulary. You have to teach them tools, right? What happens when yeah. I feel this way or that way. And you have to teach adults to be able to respond to those those attempts, right, at communication um, in positive, nurturing, kind, gentle mm-hmm. ways so that kids will know that they will be cared for. What I often see when kids freeze or adopt a freeze stance or a fawn position, that that many times trauma has played a role in that, where the safety to say what they're experiencing has been met with uh, some form of punishment, usually severe. Those kinds of things will actually keep kids from sharing who they are, what they think, because in their past, Somewhere along the line, they have learned that's dangerous to do. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly important that for those kids in particular, right, that insidiousness actually is can be a sign of something more damaging and traumatic for those kids um, in their life before that moment. Because when kids feel safe enough to say who they are and to share their experience, their brains are online they're available yeah. and engaged and they they don't shy away from sh- you know sharing their experience but those kids they kind of make a, a world around them so that they don't have to either experience it learn about it share it or communicate about it and that can be as we all know right can be signs of things that can as kids move into adolescence particularly when we look at the suicide rate of kids how much younger they are these days and for adolescents when you don't share what your experiences and your struggles and your frustrations and your grief and your rage and despair we have kids killing themselves and kids killing other kids because they
1: feel so disconnected from everything and
2: everyone and that's
1: a danger it it totally is and and You know, that makes me think, again, of students who go to school every day, there are a lot of these. Yes. I mean, we wouldn't think so, but there are so many students, even starting in kindergarten and then all the way through, who go to school every day, failing every day. Whatever failing is in their minds. You know, they got F, they got a D, they didn't understand this, they didn't understand that. They followed the instructions incorrectly. They got a red mark on their paper. Right. So basically, it's failing. Right. Every single day going to a place where you know you're, you're not going to measure up, you're not going to do well, people are going to think you're not smart, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And really, when you think about that, it's amazing that there isn't more. Oh, absolutely. Acting out, you know, fight, uh, freeze, uh, fight, all of those things. things. Because really, if, if as adults, I mean, there probably are some adults who go to a job every day that they don't like.
2: Absolutely.
1: But if they were going to someplace every day where they felt so totally... As failures, right, demoralized. I don't think they would behave as well as some of these kids. Oh, I you agree. Know, you know Absolutely. what I mean? It's like right. you you can't sustain that, right? And some kids are doing this for twelve or thirteen years. Absolutely. I, I it's uh, I think it's well. It's I think scary.
2: It's, it is scary, and it's a stunning testament to children and their resilience mm. because. As awful as that is for kids, I still see kids get up in the morning with a smile and come to school and try again. And that is a remarkable statement about the resiliency of children. And it is really a call for all of us who are educators to never squander a moment of a child's time. We squander a lot of time for children. We squander their goodwill. We squander their strengths. We squander their um, positive emotions, right? We think that, like Jane Nelson said, that where did we ever get the crazy idea that in order for kids to do better, we have to make them feel worse. Right. Well, if we're paying attention to neuroscience, neuroscience says we can only learn when we feel good and safe, right? Feeling good means that we know that we are okay the way we are in this moment Mm -hmm. in time. And in order to get kids to feel better, we actually have to help them know that they are worthwhile, that their strengths are meaningful, that we can actually allow them to use their strengths to learn in the way that fits them best, and that those are not just important for them, but for the, the diversity we're always talking about. The diversity is not just skin color. Diversity is in the learning dispositions of kids, learning uh, how um, you might have a different strength, Mm -hmm. and that strength is as valuable as the strengths that I have. Or your
1: talents, or your interests. Absolutely,
2: right. And the things that I'm passionate about, Mm -hmm. you might not be passionate about, but it's good that you are, because now I know something I didn't know before. And um, I had a student, a former student of mine, say to me last night, If it hadn't been for you, I wouldn't know that I love musicals. It was my passion, right? (laughs) Sharing my passion for musicals helped her to say, oh, I have that passion too. So we also have that responsibility Mm -hmm. as adults. And all of those help to create architecture in our brains that allows us to process information quicker and to retain information by practicing those kinds of things, making connections to the information we already have. So when we talk about kids, right, we're talking in the neurosciences, we're laying down pathways. We're always laying down pathways, everything that we participate in. So when we're growing up, we're trying all kinds of new things, we hope, right? Ideally, kids are getting to try all kinds of new and different things. When we get to be a middle schooler and a high schooler, two really important things are happening that we don't pay enough attention to for middle school and adolescent brains. And one of those things is pruning. So literally our brains work (laughs) like we are our own little gardener, right? So we're laying down kind of all these pathways. And by the time, you know, we're in middle school, we have all of this information of all of these things we've been learning over time. Well, middle school and high school is really about specialization. It's about learning, right, your strengths, yeah, uh-huh. using those strengths, what you're passionate about, and laying down the pathways for the things you really do care about. So if it's playing baseball or ice skating or um, poetry mm-hmm. or art, right, we're pruning away the things that we're not going to really do. So I pruned away things like karate. I wasn't, you know, uh-huh. was that kid that wasn't that interesting to me. But tap dancing, I loved. So I laid down more neural pathways for tap dancing at that age. But what I didn't realize is that dancing and music also helped me to learn, right? Because my strengths, my passions also made it, made it possible for me to gather information and to hold on to information because I had a way to, to uh, coalesce that yes, information yes, through movement yes. of my body and music. So I learn best when I'm moving. And if you could see me now, my hands are always moving a mile (laughs) a minute when I'm talking because I have always been like that. I've been that kid who had to be moving, but I was punished for moving. I was punished for talking. And both movement and talking, mm-hmm. everybody who knows me knows I know how to talk. Yeah. <laughs> I can talk a lot. Um, but it was how I made sense of my world, how I made meaning, and how I can share what I understand to be true with other people. And
1: we need to acknowledge that and honor those things in um, kids, well, as well as adults, you know, but especially students. We need to say, that's a talent you have you know or did you realize you can talk really well right 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 <laughs> let's do something with that or what do you think about this right and you know going back to resilience and you had mentioned uh, resilience there's research that shows that the more kids become resilient when they know there's an area that they shine in absolutely and when they know they can contribute something right that's what makes people resilient. Absolutely. One of the big factors. And that reminds me of um, Elie Wiesel writing yes, right. about the Holocaust. Right. And um, he and other writers as well have talked about you know, who were the people that survived? And I, I, of course, I'm not talking about the people that were actually put right. to death. Right. But the ones that were not. Right. A lot of people died. Right. And some did not. Right. Why? Right. And it always comes to that they were the ones who had something that they thought they were supposed to do. Right. A job that was bigger than what was going mm-hmm. on. Whether it was that, oh, when this is over, I'll find my family, or I'll write a book, or I'm going to teach, I'm going to make sure this never happens again, whatever it was. Right. They knew they had something to contribute, and that kept them alive. So that is a very powerful thing. Right. Contribution is huge. Huge. Right. And if you think you have nothing to contribute, right. then you're nobody. Right. Well and Who are you? When we're talking about the adolescent brain,
2: we're talking about, so we just talked about pruning, how we're getting rid of stuff. Well, when you're also focusing on laying down the myelinization, the sheath mm-hmm. around the uh, neural pathways so that... It can make the information, you know, 300 times faster than 300,000 times faster than without that myelin sheath. Well, that laying down of that myelin sheath actually helps to connect the things that you love to do and the information that you're gathering at a much faster pace. Well, contributing, right? meaningful, Meaningfully to something allows you to be focused on something, which allows you to prune away the things that you don't need, to lay down the myelin and the myelin sheaths for the things you do need to make that more powerful and to be able to grow that brain for those specialities. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things when we talk about adolescence, we're missing out on some of the most uh, innovative and uh, practical applications of problem solving by not allowing adolescents to both prune and myelinate because they're the ones who come up with what we call out-of-the-box thinking, yeah. right? Because they're not limited, right, to the adult's understanding of how things work. They can see because they don't know any better that that there's other possibilities for problem solving. So you get a lot of really amazing innovations happening when kids are 14, 15, 16. It's happening all over the world mm-hmm. as we speak. And I think that's part of it. When we look at the neuroscience, if we know that brains do best when they feel safe, if brains do best when they're able to make connections and to strengthen those connections, and we do best when we can know ourselves, regulate our emotions, turn that into the ability to understand others and develop relationships, that all of that leads to responsible decision making that is ethical and moral and supportive of a larger community when we get to think of things outside of ourselves Mm -hmm. that's a powerful way to be in the world and those are the kids we need to grow right when you're talking about giving right right that's when you
1: become a give and take person right
2: because that's how they learn to Mm -hmm. give and take they learn because they can see if i have efficacy right and advocacy then I can do for others what someone is willing to do for right. me. And that's the em- the em- empathetic piece of the foundation yeah. of yeah. social-emotional learning. And social-emotional learning allows our brains to grow and to feel uh, safe and connected to yeah. each other. And the neuroscience supports that. Research supports that. We know better. Mm. We should be doing better
1: for all of our
2: kids. Definitely.
1: So do you have any, um, I don't know, last... Last thoughts about specific strategies teachers can use in the classroom for for bringing about uh, this sort of environment in well, the classroom. I mean, you touched a little bit on it, but maybe some summarizing. I think the of that.
2: foundational component to any classroom mm-hmm. is that you create a classroom culture that values every member. That allows kids to share their thinking, positive Mm -hmm. or negative, Mm -hmm. allows kids to problem solve, to work together collaboratively, to share their voice, and to problem solve. Because if you as a collaborative solve problems together and you teach them about how their brains work, Mm -hmm. you teach them about how their emotions work, and they do it together, Mm -hmm. then they can help create that same culture for each other. It can't just be the teacher. It can never just be the teacher. The teacher sets the space for that to happen, but then they have to give some direct instruction about how kids' brains work to help them understand how to come to that understanding. And then when you want to talk about regulation, you have to come up with strategies that work for you as a teacher and for the kids. So teaching kids about mindful practices, to meditation, deep breathing, um, I used to have uh, every week in my classroom an appreciation circle where kids could identify traits, experiences, supports that they would get from each other, from their adults, and they would share that appreciation. So they they could save up for the week and then share with, and it could be an appreciation for themselves for something they had done and accomplished for another student or for the adult who had helped them through something. And often... What we found was it changed the culture of the classroom when kids knew and when adults knew that everyone was paying attention to the things we appreciated, about appreciation each other, yes. about each other uh-huh. and the gratitude that they felt mm-hmm. for those. Mm-hmm. So gratitude changes the culture. Mm-hmm. Appreciation changes the culture. Teachers being willing to listen and to really hear students changes the culture. Definitely, and all of those things make for better brains. Yes, they make learning possible. And the deepest, most important kinds of learning where we connect to each other, to our past, to our future, to innovations, to the understanding that we are not alone in any of this. And that's, I think, one of the most important messages about social-emotional learning is that we are never alone Mm -hmm. and that we have each other if we so choose.
1: (laughs) And going along with that, I I know that you also use in your classrooms and as a principal the no-fault game that allows kids to uh, look at their feelings and needs oh absolutely and share with each other and even work out problems issues differences right right? so along with the
2: appreciation circle the no-fault zone game was in our classroom all day every day So the cards are a great way for the social emotional learning to take place because kids can use those cards to identify Mm. feelings and those cards and the game allow kids to actually regulate themselves while not necessarily understanding that's what's happening because it's getting them something to focus on while they come to how they're going to communicate about how they're feeling and then once they each share how each other is feeling they can adopt each other's roles, so that develops empathy for, that, for each other's understanding, and then they come up with ways to uh, make amends if that's necessary, but sometimes just being able to take each other's perspective allows them to see each other in a way that helps them to move forward in their relationships with each other and often in our appreciation circles they would talk to each other about how they appreciated being <laughs> able to play that game together and sometimes kids could move through that game so it became a part of the fabric of themselves so they could say hey i'm feeling this way i need to talk to you about this um can we can we change roles just so i can understand better uh-huh, what you're going uh-huh. through so and then we came up with a phrase that we all used together, which was, there's always a more to the story. So when whenever we're talking to each other, the, the only good assumption we could make was that there's always a more uh, to the story. That someone is experiencing something that we can't know yes, yet. Yes, yes. That they are having something going on. There's a more to their story. And if we take the time to slow down and hear them and their story, that... We can then
1: understand and be empathic for, and again putting ourselves right in their shoes, right. And I mean, it's just it's all connected, it's right. Like and it's it helps super- everyone regulate, mm-hmm. right. And then and transmit, like you're saying, before, My right. calm alert to your calm alert, right. And to, to you being calm alert, absolutely. And
2: then when you can do that, that you're actually helping each student understand that their capacity for understanding is also a strength, right? It it all goes together that they might not feel like they had a strength in that, Mm -hmm. but once they practice that and they see real change and real effect that happens between each other in those moments, that they start to feel like, oh, I'm competent at this. I have some confidence in being able to manage this. And then I can actually help to make decisions, right, for other people because now I understand them better and they understand me better. It's an amazing process.
1: And there are so many examples of the kids just taking the responsibility themselves to do this and not even needing the adult in the room or the teacher. They oh, They no. just take, yeah, they yeah. just do it. They just go they, grab the cards and the and mat. They and, they and they work it out, whether yeah. it's just something that they're experiencing themselves or whether it's an issue with another person or whatever it is, that they can just, you know, work it out. So it's it's um all of this is amazing and i know you're going to be coming back for our part three of the brain and learning so thanks so much for today it was awesome (laughs) and uh again if anyone out there has any questions feel free to email me m at mary i'm sorry m at learningsuccesscoach.com bye for now